We'll uh, go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Because we have a lot shorter study on prayer meeting nights, we go through just a couple of verses each time. So we're moving slowly through the outline that uh, is given, and it's usually over a few weeks, the same one's there. We're looking at some principles of the marriage relationship, Ephesians 30 to 33. And uh, we'll spend half this week in this and the other half, Lord willing, next week. So we're looking at the concept of man, of a man and Christ's body, and secondly, a man and Christ's bride. So that's the the outline if you're looking at that this evening. Verse 30 of chapter 5. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we have here this relationship, the comparisons, contrasts, the concepts and the principles given. And the, you couldn't get anything more personal, more up close than the relationship between husband and wife and Christ and the church. And that's why it's, Paul is really emphasizing this here is probably the greatest portion of the Christian marriage that we have in, in the word of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to direct us through these couple of verses. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship that we have with your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, our Lord, we, our Bridegroom, we are the Bride, and Lord, a, a very close relationship in, in human terms. When one is married, Lord, this relationship is developed, and it helps us to comprehend and understand how close a relationship you want with each one of your children, Lord, each one of your sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, that we would comprehend this and and work on that and uh, develop the relationship that we have with you uh, that might also be uh, developed in the physical sense with our spouses. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A man and Christ's body, verse 30. So Paul has looked at the priorities of the marriage relationship In the previous verses, now he looks at the principles here. In the Christian marriage, Christ is the role model. It must never be forgotten. And um, you could stop and think, and I did a little bit of that today in in relation to this, in more of a negative sense, but there's also some positives that can come out of it in that relationship. Um, we need to stop and think of the priorities that we ought to have in our marriage relationship because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. You see, Christians are far better informed and understand this, or should, than non-Christians. A non-Christian has no idea that they can have a relationship with God as a relationship with their spouses. And uh, it's amazing that so many unsaved marriages do work. And uh, God has 
set the principles down, if one lives by the principles, even if you don't know them, <laughs> of love and charitableness and toward one another and uh, developing that relationship, then it'll work. It's the same in business. If you run by the right principles, it works. Um, <clears throat> not, not in relationship with Christ, but by good, sound principles. Um, so here it is, the principles looked at. Here we'd see that. So in the Christian marriage, Christ is the role model. So we can look at him and say, how should we do it? How did he do it? How does he do it? How will he do it? Because he, it's all it's in the past, present and future You're in the relationship with the church. And so a believer is a member of his body. This is what it tells us in verse 30, is it not? And no more intimate relationship could be imagined than this organic relationship, a member of the body. Uh, did you hurt yourself today? What did the body, the head tell you about that bit of body that was hurting? <laughs> it's hurting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's linked, it's tied, it, you just don't cut it off. It's there all the time. So there's a, the organic relationship in a body, one member, all members. And where in the Bible does it talk about that sort of relationship? within the body now it it it's likening it well it's like this we're talking about a bride here but in another portion another book of the bible it talks about the body of christ the church and and paul goes into some details about what we're just trying to emphasize here one bit of body hurts the other hurts if one if one bit of um <laughs> one bit of body can't say to the other bit of body i don't need you it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, isn't it? Let's go there for a bit. Chapter 12, verse 12 in 1 Corinthians. And, and, and so it should be with us and the Lord and us and one another in the church and, and us and spouse, our spouses if we're married. For the body, verse 12, for the, as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And we're all one body in Christ Jesus, likened to a body with all its different functions and all its different members. For by one spirit, where we are, we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, or bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then he, then, then he goes to the physical, the organic relationship of a body. Just like we're looking at in Ephesians, but it's a body here, not a bride. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Of course not. <laughs> if the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Of course not. There's no to every one of these. And so on he goes. But God, in verse 18, has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. If they all were... Uh, <laughs> In verse 19, and if we're all one member, where were the body? There are many members. And so it's not just one big eyeball, it's not just one hand, it's many members. And so <clears throat> that likeness, that body, speaking of it goes right down to 25, 26. If, in verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. One member honour is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. You know, the, the, same with the body. Same with the, the body of the church, the organic body, the physical body, the church body, and 
the relationship between husband and wife. If one member suffers, all the others suffer with it. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. And so this, we'll go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and continue here. We're all members of his body. This is what he's saying in verse 30. A man and Christ's body. Um, <clears throat> Christ's life is our life. Christ's love is our love. Christ's desire, desires are our desires. You see the closeness of it. If the stomach says, I'm hungry, what will the hand do? Find food and put it where? <laughs> In the mouth. <laughs> and, you know, all works. It knows how to work. It takes a, foot, a little bit for little ones, and, you know, they learn to use the spoon and do it. After, <laughs> when you were grandparents, you say, oh, yuck. You know, <laughs> just get coordinated. But they, <laughs> they take a while. <laughs> the kids take... You know, to get it there and not get it here and there and all, <laughs> all over the hair. Remember that? <laughs> but they do do it. And Christians, let's get coordinated. Let's work together. Let's labour together. Married couples, labour together. Suffer together. Rejoice together. Plan together. Work it out together. Isn't that a scriptural concept? Togetherness? Uh, his spirit energizes our spirit so that we may be able to do this because in the flesh, on our own, we can't necessarily do that. His blood is our cleansing. His desire is ours, as I mentioned. His ambition's ours. His joy is our joy. When we rejoice, he rejoices. What hurts us hurts him. When we groan, he groans. It tells us in Romans 8, and you can find these principles everywhere. We're part of his body. And thinking of the marriage relationship, and Paul is emphasising both of these here, that ought to be the case. But so often it's not. So often it's sad that one rejoices and one is not rejoicing. And their hurts don't hurt the other. In fact, they hurt each other instead of being hurt together and solving the problem. And so Paul's instruction for husbands is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So you can think of this concept from the Bible. This is how God wants us to treat our wives. Are we doing that? It's not idealistic, it's very practical. That's why Paul tied it here with the marriage. Members of his body, our lack of love is replaced by his boundless love and he helps us to do what we can't do in the flesh. Every Christian husband should draw on the fact that he's a member of Christ's body and he ought to think of the, fa the facts of how that Christ has treated him. And uh, the strength of the Lord through the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do that. Now, let's, let's just have some thoughts from yourselves. What are some ways that Christ has and does treat us and will treat us? Past, present and future. Any one area you can pick from? Forgiveness. Forgiveness that was two. <laughs> he forgives. And that comes straight to your mind. And Is that needed in a Christian marriage? Who's to set the example? 
Husbands, forgive. What's another area that uh, Christ shows to us and does it all the time for us? Long suffering. Long suffering. <laughs> yeah. And so we should be with our spouses. Husbands particularly pointed here, you know, you're to take the lead in this, to be long-suffering. I, I know what you're going to get onto now. You're going to get on the fruits of the Spirit <laughs> because uh, that's where it's headed when you start long-suffering. What other traits? You can, you can use them if you wish. Compassion. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, you think of sacrifice. Christ gave everything. He's willing to die for the bride. That's a principle that we're to live by. You know, when we're maybe not married, intending to get married, yes, yes, I love all those things. But it's like every human relationship, what happens? There's some turbulence sometimes. There's some rocky roads to, to travel. And in those times is the times we need to exercise the thought, now what? would Christ do here <laughs> as the husband what would Christ do here and as a wife in reaction what would the Lord Jesus want me to do in this hey wouldn't that solve and head every problem off quickly if we all reacted like Christ did now there are times for rebuke the Lord does chastise his children his church that is in the scriptures too so there's the negative, there's the positive side. Uh, <clears throat> I've written a few things, things down here. Does, does Christ bully and bash the church? We wouldn't even think of it. He, he doesn't do that. But what do we see a lot of husbands doing today? Just that. And wives. <laughs> I was reading the facts the other day about that. You can Google them. Just the ones that are reported. Um, does, does Christ oppress and like an octopus just restrict everything that a wife does shouldn't do they are individuals though they are we are one does the Lord shout and scream at us chasing us around the household of God in that fashion not at all not at all but I'm afraid that these things are happening in so-called Christian marriages. Christ does not do that. So I said I'd have some negative ones. You've given the positive. That's good. Does he threaten and taunt us with threats? He doesn't do that. He warns us of our walk. And, and as Brother Miles said, I think long-suffering. When we go off the track and off the trail a bit, he's long-suffering. And, and he will bring us round somehow. <laughs> and so think of it. You know, it's like looking at someone as an example, like mum and dad when we're young, as an example of what the relationship between Christ and the church should be. And, that, and parents, if we're not setting that example, how are our children going to understand the relationship with their heavenly father, with Christ their Lord? If you're threatening and taunting and shouting and oppressing and bullying, bashing. 
okay, starving and suppressing. You know, <clears throat> those people, men that go out to the pub every night and get drunk and spend, spend all the money for the children, they're starving their kids, literally. Would Christ do that to the church? None at all. You see how far out the world is? It's way off kilter <laughs> when you look at some of these things. <clears throat> Wound the church? No, he doesn't. How can a person who says he loves his wife and promise to nourish and cherish his wife do these things to his wife? Particularly, Christians, when you've got the example of Christ. What has he done to me? What has he done for me? How does he go about that? And um, very important, we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, and this really helps us think about the relationship we should have in our, with our spouse and within the church. This, this is all tying it with the church too, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> a man and Christ's body, a man and Christ's bride. In verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. <clears throat> So on one side, a Christian husband is mystically linked with the body of Christ. On the other side, he is mar married and linked with his wife. Now Christ's life and love throw, flow through him to her, completing the circuit. And, of course, the Christian wife is also directly linked with Christ. And his love flows through her as well. Faith throws the switch that allows the power to flow and the results to show in a Christian marriage. And so Paul's teaching on marriage, like the Lord's teaching in Mark chapter 10, and that we won't, you can look that, we've read it some months ago, Mark 10, 2 to 12, based on Genesis 2, they two shall be one flesh. Marriage was God's idea. And so it is a good idea. Remember, after you'd done everything, what did he say on the last day? It is good. And then he said it is very good. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, if something's good that God has made, it's got to be good, good, good. <laughs> and keep going. <laughs> because it's, he's God and he knows. It all depends how we take a hold of it and live it as to be whether, whether it was going to be good in our relationship with each other, with our spouses, with our children. His, his purpose was to make paradise complete, to bring heaven down to earth. In instituting marriage, God had eternity's values in view. The ultimate reality of, of Christ and his church in, with, it, with that in mind... <laughs> Eternity's values in view. He, he made it like it is to make it very real to every living family. The trouble is sin has dimmed the bright idea, hasn't it? It wasn't God, it was sin and our sin. Even when we know the truth that's found in Christ, a chronic unbelief, the sin of our heart, the deceptiveness of our heart leads us off track. 
The fact remains, though, that God intends the Christian home to be an outpost of heaven. An outpost of heaven in a sin-cursed world. That's what God wants it to be. And so many times it's an outpost of hell and not of heaven. And God must be saddened that we don't put our minds into gear and think through this. So next time your tempted husband or wife to blow it, to do something that you know is not what Christ would do to you or to the church, stop. (laughs) Don't do it. Think about it. Do the opposite. Confound the devil (laughs) and make it heaven on earth in the marriage. You don't have to get your way, you know, when you see a a husband and a wife rousing on each other, trying to get their way and have the last say, oh, "Oh, well, you know where it's going to end. It's not going to end pretty, not going to end happy. If they only realised that God has a much better plan. Um, It's no accident I make this comment in four four comments. We won't look them up. I've got them written here. It's no accident the first, the second, the third, and the fourth time that the word love is used in the Bible. They're all in Genesis. Guess what what it's referring to, what the context is. Family. Did I hear? Is that what you said, Doug? Marriage, okay, well, good, close enough. Family. And um, the first one is the love of a father for the son. That's in Genesis 22. Who do you think it might be talking about and the love that a father had for the son? Mount Moriah, going up with Isaac. Temple Mount, (laughs) Mosque of Omer. They say the rock's right under there where he did it. I was going to do it. And uh, take now thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. That's the first use of it. And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountain which I will tell thee of. Father and son. God the Father, God the Son. The love that they had for each other is a love and it's a, in a family relationship and likened to the Father in heaven and the Son, the Lord Jesus. So the second mention of love is the love of the Son for his bride. The Son was waiting for his bride in Genesis 24 and verse 67. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. The second use. Family relationship, a marriage relationship, as Doug said, there. And so that's <coughs> Isaac's love for Rebecca at that time. Um, this is all that, and, and this is the type of, of course, of the son for his bride, of Lord Jesus for the church, and there's to be pictured in a marriage, a Christian marriage. The other two, uh, Genesis twenty-five, twenty-eight, Isaac loved Esau. That's a father and a son again. Isaac, Isaac the father loved the son Esau. Just you, you, Sometimes you sort of, uh, Isaac, I think you're a little bit off 
he liked him, you see, and we have to be careful because we, with our children, and some of our children have certain traits that we've got and we like, they're the ones we love and it can cause problems because they do what we like happening. We enjoy what they enjoy. But uh, who's the other one? J Jacob. Um, yeah, J Jacob was loved by his mum. Jacob was a bit of a homeboy, wasn't he? And that's why the love was there. But it does say that they loved them. If only they had it in balance, they wouldn't have split the family. But they did love. One loved one and one loved the other. They should have both loved both of them. And the, you know, How the world would have been different. How, how the world would have been different even today if that relationship had been loved both ways to both sons. And a lot of what we've got today is a result of that messing up back then. Uh, I don't think we're going to live long enough to see our progeny <laughs> 4,000 years or whatever from now doing that sort of thing. Well, I'm sure we'll all be in heaven by then. But there's some thoughts. We are members of his flesh, of his bones, and this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. And I think the main point is think about it before you say, do anything. How is this? What would the Lord Jesus do? How has he treated me? in the very same area or same same situation and i think it'll transform our relationships with one another and with our spouses